Welcome to the Black Sparrow Media Internet Broadcast Network. Listening to Linux in the Hamshack. LHS is a podcast about Linux, open source, and amateur radio for everyone. Now, here are your hosts Russ, K5TUX, Cheryl, W5MOO, and Bill, NE4RD. Well, hello, everybody, and welcome. You have tuned in to episode number 502 of Linux in the Hamshack, the most terrific amateur radio podcast on the internet. And episode number 502 is our short topics episode. So we're going to have some news and information of general concern for amateur radio and for Linux and open source and for the combination of the two. So we're glad you joined us for that. Before we get into our topics tonight, let's go ahead and introduce ourselves. I'm Russ, K5TUX. I'm Cheryl, W5MOO. And I'm Bill, NA4RD. All right, so we're recording this a little differently now. We have dropped Mumble as a recording medium. We're doing all of this through Discord now using a uh, pretty cool recording bot. So if anything sounds a little different, that may be the reason. But hopefully everything turns out fine and you're actually able to listen to episode number 502. And if you're hearing my voice right now, everything went well. (laughs) So let's go ahead and move on to our first topics We start usually with amateur radio, and today is no different. So we'll go ahead and let Bill handle our first amateur radio topic for tonight. Yeah, and this uh, comes to us from the AWRL, because, you know, amateur radio news sources are hard to find these days. So (laughs) so we're going to use their story. And this is a tornado story and, uh, sorry, tornado season and amateur radio Uh, Tornado season is fast approaching and amateur radio operators will again play a key role in helping the National Weather Service issue accurate and timely warnings. In fact, March through May is considered the most active period for tornadoes to develop. The NWS reports they have already been, there have already been 255 preliminary filtered reported uh, tornadoes, God, I can't even read, and 213 confirmed tornadoes in the United States in 2023. Just can't read it all tonight. Uh, Our recording is different, but our proficiency as podcasters has not changed at all. We we still suck at this. Anyway, (laughs) worldwide, nine tornado-related deaths have been uh, confirmed, all of them in the United States. It's really because I can't read the screen. I'm blind. Sorry. Uh, January saw the third highest number of tornado watches and confirmed tornadoes of any January on record in the United States. Additionally, the first two months of the year saw the fourth highest number of confirmed tornadoes for the first 59 days of any year on record. Uh, the Skywarn Storm Spotter program is available to anyone interested in helping the NWS uh, track and report potentially dangerous weather. Anyone can become a Skywarn weather spotter, and the information is available at the Skywarn website. Uh, most states have amateur radio networks that are activated during severe weather. Trained volunteers use their radios to report rapidly changing activity and share the re- information with the local weather offices. And of course, I said that already it came from the AWRL. So, uh, hey, yeah. So, uh, Skywarn is a great, is a great training 
facility as well. They do a lot of Skywarn training to uh, train you to spot and know what you should be reporting because there are like various levels of reported weather. And just because it's raining at your house does not necessarily mean it's a reportable event. So it's really uh, useful for you to uh, go ahead and get any of that Skywarn training if uh, if it's available to you in your area. If not, there are tons of them that are online nowadays and uh, via webinar. And you can get Skywarn trained. So you know that, like, uh, you know, hail that's smaller than a pea size nobody wants to know about. Rain that's not causing any, like, you know, flooding. <laughs> <laughs> you know, is not what anybody wants to know about. So, uh, yeah, yeah, go ahead and uh, go take that uh, Skywarn training. Even if you're not involved in Aries or Races and stuff like that, it's it's definitely useful information so you can pass on uh, your environment's information when a weather event occurs. Yeah, I keep meaning to do that. I've been wanting to do it forever and just n- never seem to get around to it. It's also trying to line up with whenever they're doing it. So, but one of these days for sure. I'm I'm hearing stuff out in the hallway, so I'm just <laughs> wait, waiting for the dogs to start going off on me. But anyway, <laughs> before they do that, let's go ahead and let Cheryl pick up this short next topic we've got in amateur radio for tonight. Okay, our next story is amateur radio hobbyists catch Russians talking about recovering downed U.S. drone. Huh, go figure. So, anyway, the story was it came from Metro UK, and it reads, Amateur radio hobbyists appear to have obtained audio recordings of the Russian military trying to retrieve a U.S. spy drone. They were monitoring publicly accessible airwaves after the MQ-9 Reaper drone was downed following an encounter with two Russian warplanes last Tuesday. The New York Times reports, and this was, I think, a couple of weeks ago now. Uh, the radio intercept started about eight hours after the collision in the Black Sea, and what was first recorded physical, it was the first recorded physical clash between Russia and the U.S. service, excuse me, the U.S. since the Ukraine invasion began. Again, like Bill, I'm blind. The clips reveal conversations between multiple Russian ships and aircraft over a four-hour period, discussing attempts to recover the drone's engine casing, nose, wing, and gas tank. And again, this came from Metro UK. Mm, yeah, I'm sure, yeah, I'm sure everybody's heard about this story now. <laughs> it's uh, You've been out and you've already seen the video and everything else. So, uh, yeah, just interesting to uh, to see uh, where some of the traffic was intercepted from. Yeah, it's interesting. Hobbyists catching Russians. Oh, no, the evil Russians. So. <laughs> Well, you can you can kind of actually say that with what's going on in the world these days, but it's not everyone. It's just you know a certain segment. And why is my phone going off? All of a sudden? Ah, it's your fault. Uh, my phone is like uh, actually I didn't silence it, but at least mine didn't go off yet. Mine mine's silenced now. I don't know if anyone was hearing it, but at least I'm hearing it now. So. All right, let's move on to our third and final amateur radio topic of the evening. Enormous metal sculpture becomes an antenna. And I saw this and I was like, I don't know, do we want to put this one in there? And I was thinking about it and then I saw that it was Hackaday and I was like, yeah, maybe we should pass. And then here it is. I know, I know. Uh, Those who have worked with high voltage know well enough that anything can be a conductor at enough high enough voltage similarly amateur radio operators will jump at any chance to turn a random object into an antenna we have we have talked about this ad nauseum on this show uh i think we've talked about uh using barbed wire fence and lawn furniture and i I don't know any any number of things to become an antenna flagpoles gutters and even streams of water can be turned into a rating element for a transmitter but the members of this amateur radio club were thinking a little bit bigger when they hooked up their transmitter to this giant sculpture 
For those who haven't been to the Rochester Institute of Technology in upstate New York, this normal metal behemoth is not a subtle piece of artwork and sits right at the entrance to the university. It's over 70 feet tall and made out of bronze and steel, a dream for any amateur radio operator. With the university's permission and some help to ensure everyone's safety during the operation, the group attached a feed line to the sculpture with a magnet while the shield wire was attached to a ground rod nearby. A Yezu FT-991 running only 5 watts and transmitting in the 20-meter band was able to make contacts throughout much of the eastern United States with this setup. I wonder if they put a rate... Uh, antenna analyzer on it to see like what its resonant frequency was i'm just i'm confused at the using the magnet probably because would... they didn't want to actually damage the sculpture by doing by attaching it a pair of jumper cables come on <laughs> well uh, yeah maybe they thought the magnet was a better conductor or something yeah. i don't know i'm assuming there was some severe loss <laughs> <laughs> probably it's so, yeah half of an air gap there probably um, anyway, this project actually started as an in-joke within, as an in-joke within the radio club as reported by Reddit user. Yeah, whatever. Yeah. Eventually the joke became reality as the sculpture is almost a perfect antenna for certain ham bands. I bet the radiation pattern is a little weird. Others in the comments noted that they might have better luck with lower frequency bands, such as the 40 meter band or possibly the 60 meter band due to the height of the structure. <clears throat> Actually, yeah, 80 meters have been fine. Yeah, probably. And for those who are still wondering if you really can use a stream of water to transmit radio waves, it is indeed possible. Well, if nothing else, you know that uh, water is a great reflector because if you've ever been like in a car transmitting or listening to something on like two meters, for example, and you're mobile and you go over a bridge, uh, typically your signal will jump up a little bit because you get a nice uh, ground plane from the water. So. I'm playing from the water. Hmm. Well, you, yeah. I, have you not noticed that? No. <laughs> okay. Well, no, we've actually made antennas with liquid before. Obviously, probably not water would be the best, but although it's a really good conductor, uh, terminating the end of water is always a problem. But they have made antennas using liquid mercury and stuff like that, and that has worked very fairly well. Oh, very good. I'm I'm surprised that I'm the only one who, at least in this group, has had that experience where if you're listening to a signal and you go over a large body of water, like a lake or something, you oh, get perception. Yeah, that's different. Yeah, I know what you're saying now. Yeah, okay. Oh, okay. <laughs> good. At least I'm not out of my mind. So thank you for that. Sorry, yeah, because the ground plane becomes more reflective at that point, and right. yeah, you get a little bit of enhanced propagation, yes. Okay, good. <laughs> I was so. trying to think of like so water poured on your car because you went over a bridge. <laughs> I was like, how does that work? <laughs> thought thought I was making it clear, but uh, I guess not. No, he he kind of started that out a little weird. I think that was because <laughs> I was confused too. I was like, I don't, I'm not sure where this is going. But well, yeah. I was reading the story and I was trying to put it together with his thing, and I'm like, oh, I'm confused. <laughs> Well, it's not exactly using water as an antenna, but it's definitely, yes. you know what I'm saying. All right. So let's move on out of the world of amateur radio for a minute and drop into open source. So let's talk a little bit about the new GNOME. And since Bill has uh, apparently come to love GNOME, he used to hate it. Uh, we'll let <laughs> him handle this one here. Well, no, I've always loved GNOME. I just, uh, I, I love Dash to Doc and the times when Dash to Doc doesn't work because, because of various versions of GNOME. I, I run into problems because I, I still like having a dock. It's just one of those things. I'm I'm frustrated with uh, the KDE dock right now. 
in the same way. But like all of a sudden after a reboot, it actually auto hides again. So it's just magical how this stuff works. <laughs> but anyway, uh, yeah, here we go. Uh, introducing GNOME 44, Kuala Lumpur. After six months of hard work, GNOME Project is proud to present GNOME version 44. And this latest release includes substantial improvements with new features, enhancements, and lots of fixes. Highlights includes major improvements to the settings app, a better quick settings menu, and a streamlined software app. A GNOME 44 is codenamed Kuala Lumpur in recognition of the work done by the organizers of GNOME Asia 2022. And some of the improvements you can find within GNOME 44 are in the file chooser as a new grid view. Uh, inside the updated settings panels, they have uh, a new uh, a new tab called device security that you can check out. Uh, accessibility has been updated. Sound has been modified a little bit to uh, to kind of separate some of the sound uh, device inputs from the sound controls. So it makes it a little easier to navigate that tab. Uh, mouse and touchpad has been updated. Uh, there's an enhanced quick settings menu. Uh, so if you're familiar with uh, going into your Bluetooth settings and whatnot, uh, this has been uh, substantially improved. Uh, streamlined some software, some file improvements, uh, the even more settings improvements. And uh, an article we'll be talking, well, another item we'll be talking about here in a minute is the uh, new Circle members. Uh, there's 10 new apps added to the GNOME release. And uh, this uh, GNOME Circle thing was uh, a little bit new to me. So uh, we'll be talking about that in a minute. And tons and tons of more changes. Um, now, I don't know, much to some chagrin, right? So they don't like really like the uh, changes in GNOME because it breaks a lot of the user settings and stuff like that. But uh, GNOME 44 is out and uh, should be available on systems that are at least uh, somewhere near the edge of uh, releases, probably like uh, Fedora and, uh, and Arch. And you probably won't see it in uh, GNOME or not GNOME, but Ubuntu or something like that until probably the next uh, next dot release that comes out. But anyway, you can check that out. Uh, all the information there is available in the show notes and the link to the uh, GNOME release is as well in there in the show notes. All right. I'm probably going to let you go ahead and roll into the GNOME circle thing since we're talking about it. Anyway. Okay, it's fine. With the, uh, the KDE doc. And uh, I tell you what, I am really starting to love LXQt. Um, I don't know. Uh, I'm using LXQt on Garuda for my sort of, uh, it's not a gaming PC, but I'm, <laughs> I'm playing games on it. But <laughs> but just in general, I'm really starting to dig LXQt. And it uses uh, Cairodoc. For oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. And it works really, really well. I, I just, I, I kind of wanted to install it on something else, like on a different computer, like my... Um, my Pop OS or or a, an Ubuntu box or something like that, but I don't know if the reason that LXQ looks so awesome on Garuda is because they've done like massive customization to it, and if I just put like a vanilla version on, it's just going to look like you know ass or something. But um, I tell you what, I, I might just switch a whole bunch of stuff over to Garuda because it's it's pretty kick ass. Interesting. That's really cool. Yeah. So uh, GNOME Circle. So uh, I I. I saw this in the release notes and it kind of prompted me to think about like, what is actually GNOME Circle? It's not something I'm very familiar with. Uh, but GNOME Circle is, uh, if you go to circle.gnome.org or whatever, you can actually see this. Uh, this is applications and libraries extending the GNOME ecosystem. Uh, GNOME Circle champions the great software that is available for the GNOME platform. Not only do we showcase the best apps and library for GNOME, but we also support independent developers who are using GNOME technology and technologies. 
Uh, so how it works, uh, developers who are using the GNOME platform can apply to have their projects included in the GNOME circle. When the project is approved, they qualify for benefits, including promotion and advertising, and contributors qualify for GNOME Foundation membership. So this can definitely uh, work towards funding and everything else that a lot of open source projects look, uh, look for. But uh, some of the applications included in uh, in the GNOME circle, which uh, some of them I'm, I'm aware of, because I think we have talked about a few of them in the past. Um, but uh, yeah, some of them look pretty interesting here. Uh, uh, let's see, I'll just kind of go through the list here and blow through some really quickly. Uh, we got Amberall, which plays music and nothing else. Uh, we can all appreciate a simple music app, you know, Rhythmbox and stuff like that have been available for years. Uh, let's see, uh, audio sharing, share your computer audio, authenticator, generate two-factor codes. Uh, we have collision, check hashes for your files. Let's see, uh, decoder, scan, and generate QR codes. You know, most browsers do this uh, automatically now, but, uh, you know, this is something else that you can use to generate QR codes. Uh, Emblem generates uh, project avatars. Uh, font downloader installs font f- fonts from online sources. Junction, let's see, uh, uh, Polari. Uh, talk to people on IRC. I might be looking for that, right? Yeah, because hex chat is getting pretty uh, long in the tooth. Uh, let's see, a couple other things here. Um, oh, Zap. That's the one I was looking for. Plays sounds from a soundboard. So, like, totally, there's our Badger sound. We need to get that back in play here. So, uh, I actually tried installing uh, Zap uh, in in Garuda uh, through uh, through AUR, and it uh, bombed on one of the uh, dependencies. So, I can't install that yet to to play around with it to see how that plays. But I was looking for one that we had talked about in the past, and now I'm not even seeing the one I was thinking about. But anyway, there's about like 20 or so apps here. Uh, there's a link to uh, to them in the show notes. Again, circle.gnome.org. You can go find it yourself. Um, and just familiarize yourself with some of these applications that are making it into that family of applications that are being supported by the GNOME Foundation. So, uh, yeah, it's really interesting stuff that uh, that GNOME is building a kind of a culture around some applications there. Yeah, it's there's some stuff in there I'm definitely going to check out, uh, especially the, uh, what did I see? I saw one that looked really cool. Of course, I'm not going to be able to find it. It's a pretty long list we've got going here. But uh, yeah. Shortwave, gonna... shortwave. We mentioned shortwave before, internet radio. Yes, yes. And I think maybe one or two others of these. Oh, Kuha would be a good one, uh, screen recorder. So Yeah, there you go. All right, and Zap, yeah, definitely going to look into that one, see if I can get all the, because I've got all those sound files someplace. I just have to see if I can find them and get them into a place where we can integrate them back into the show. That would be kind of cool. Badger. Badger. <laughs> badger, badger. All right, moving on, we have one more story in open source, and that's about Kadian Live uh, 22.12.3 has been released. The last maintenance release of the 22.12 series is out with many fixes to subtitles. They fix subtitle scrolling, the language model combo box being too small, scroll timeline uh, bug when moving a subtitle, fixed uh, overlap, move regression, offset on group move, snapping, and compilation, and uh, fixed crash and offset when moving a group with subtitles. So if this is something you use, Caden Live for with uh, subtitling, which if you're doing any kind of video, video editing, you're probably doing text of some sort because, you know, you got to have your overlays and your lower thirds and all that kind of groovy stuff. So groovy. Like we've got a lot of, yeah, groovy, man, groovy. 
It's like they've got a lot of fixes here in the latest release of Caden Live. So if that's the application, the video editor that you're using, you should check that out and definitely upgrade. Fix all those bugs in in, uh, subtitling. And I use KDN Live, and that's why I kind of mentioned it here. Because if you read this, if you read the actual uh, comments on the article or on the release notes, you'll see a lot of people mentioning the nightly build, which is uh, the next major, well, semi-major, maybe it's a point release of KDN Live, and there's a lot of improvements kind of coming coming up and prep for that next release. So uh, so if you're a KDN Live user like myself and kind of following this, uh, yeah, this is all all good stuff to hear that uh, that the project is, is constantly moving forward. Yeah, excellent. I mean, they do a lot of development over there. It's one of the better uh, open source video editors out there for sure. So... All right, very good. Well, that brings us down to the end of our open source topics, but we're going to jump into Linux in the Hamshack here, and this is one Bill's going to have to take over because it's his his own personal experience with working satellites. We talked with Neil a couple episodes back about doing satellite work, and Bill has decided that he was going to to get into the action at least a little bit and uh, figure out how to set up G-Predict with his SDR, so tell us all about it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I was uh, kind of interested in uh, seeing what I could hear, first of all, with uh, the way my antennas are set up here, which is uh, not favorable for VHF or UHF. But uh, <laughs> anyway, I figured I'd give it a try. I do have a uh, an arrow uh, J-pole on the side of the house uh, mounted up uh, just above the eave of the house and uh, coax cable coming down. So, you know, I, I remembered to actually plug it in as they say. And uh, yeah, I have it plugged into my uh, RTL SDR. And uh, yeah, I was like, uh, there's got to be some way to kind of kind of compare this to I don't want to have to like tune my SDR every time a satellite passes so I can see if it works and all this stuff. And so I started looking at the G predict because we've talked about G predict in the past a million times and it does have the capability to drive, excuse me, it does have the capability to (coughs) drive rig control and I'm losing my voice all of a sudden. And uh, so I looked at SDR++, and of course, SDR++ allows you to be a rig, so actually enable rig control from that side. So say, you know, I am a rig. You can connect to me via Hamlib. So uh, so I enabled that on SDR++, and then I went over to gpredict and said, yeah, I have a rig. Here's where it's at, you know, localhost uh, 42. 33 or whatever it is, 4232 or 4532, whatever, you know, whatever you set for the port. And sure enough, if I enable track on GPredict uh, and set to the uh, transponder, whether that be the FM or the uh, linear transponder, when the satellite comes overhead, it actually will tune my SDR++ instance, which is my RTL SDR, uh, to the downlink frequency so I can listen to what either the, you know, the the actual transponder or the uh, beacon that's on the satellite, which I haven't been able to hear many, <laughs> not to my surprise. Uh, but uh, yeah, if I have a you know good overhead pass or a good southerly pass, I can I can hear some stuff. But it uh, it is pretty uh, it's pretty cool that uh, I don't really have to do anything from the G predict side besides just bring up rig control and just tell it yeah go ahead and track. Uh, the overhead satellite, and it automatically switches between satellites depending upon what's uh, what's in the AOS, uh, you know, the acquisition of signal uh, and the uh, loss of signal. So it'll it'll keep track of all of that. And then if I want to, you know, it has. If you go and you go into G Predict, which I'm going to do right now because I can't remember 
the actual uh, menu. If you go into G Predict and you go into Rig Control, Radio Control, yeah. So uh, yeah, there is. If you uh, go up to File and you go into where you normally update your TLE, there's also an update transponder data, and the transponder data gives you all of the uplink and downlink frequencies. So that when you go into your module and you say, I want to do radio control, you will see that in your G-Predict radio control amateur that you have your target, which will be your current satellite. And then you'll have drop downs for all the modes that the satellite currently is operating in. And you can just go ahead and set that mode. And what I found is that, I don't, I don't know if this documented because I don't read documents. <laughs> It generally uh, uses whatever the last mode that you were tracking as the trackable target uh, for that satellite. So um, so really all you have to do is engage it and track it, and then SDR++ will automatically follow it. The only thing I noticed uh, with SDR++ is it won't switch modes uh, when the satellite is like an FM bird, like the uh, SO50 is. So I'm, I'm still learning about this and still trying to figure everything out. But I would have to say that between the combination of G-Predict and SDR++ and my RTL-SDR, it has drastically reduced the, the whole, like, understanding a lot of stuff <laughs> and having to, oh, uh, what is this satellite doing and whatnot? And I've, uh, I've set up my G-Predict uh, satellite list to basically whatever AMSAT has as the active satellites. So that's how I've kind of dumbed down my list, although I haven't heard some you know, any signals from some satellites. I have heard some, you know, people keying up and stuff like that from others when I've been down here while there's been an active pass. And I'm hoping to use it more and more to kind of just hear what I can actually hear and kind of get a feel for if I were to do satellite operations from my actual house, which again, is not the ideal place to do satellite operations from because I'm totally blinded to the north you know, northeast, northwest by a big wall of uh, sandstone, um, <clears throat> uh, at least up to about 20 degrees. Uh, yeah, it's uh, it's not conducive for any low passes in the north uh, north region in east or west from my house. So, um, so yeah, I'm just getting a feel for it. But I did like the fact that it was almost uh, like auto magic. And once I uh, once I downloaded transponder data and just kind of you know engaged the tracking automatically, um, you can at least get a feel for it for a very minimal spin. To, you know, I have already had the antenna, so didn't have to spend anything on that. But like I had the RTL SDR, which was, you know, 30 bucks. Uh, and yeah, I kind of like renewed, uh, renewed a little interest in actually tracking these satellites, at least from the listening perspective. And uh, yeah, I'll probably, uh, I'll probably keep updating uh, everybody with uh, how that's going and whether or not I actually ever transmit uh, the last satellite I talked on was RS10, so it's it's been a been a minute. So, uh, but yeah, totally doable if you have uh, these kind of things at your disposable at your disposal, not disposable, your disposal. Uh, it's definitely worth kind of looking into and using and testing out because uh, yeah, literally I could uh, I could leave it running and walk into my shack and you know, literally it's on whatever satellite's actually passing over. I didn't have to change anything; it's already tracking it and. If I need to flip transponders, I can do that right away, and uh, automatically flips the uh, the 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 SDR to listen in that area. And then, of course, you got the full you know waterfall, so you can see if there's signals. If you're on a linear bird where there's people left and right of the center of the channel, you'll be able to actually tune into them and stuff like that. 
So, uh, yeah, definitely, uh, definitely, uh, easy mode, I think, uh, for kind of getting involved in, in at least the listening side of, uh, satellites based upon your, your actual equipment. But, uh, yeah, that, that's kind of where I've been, uh, I've been playing a little bit with amateur radio. I, uh, I haven't really done much else. I, uh, I did make a few contacts on 10, uh, to, um, I actually hit the VK at like about nine thirty or ten o'clock at night, uh, sort of towards the eastern side of Australia. Didn't work uh, WA or anything else like that. So missing you, Darren. Did not work you. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> I'm not sure you'd be on at that time anyway. But, uh, but yeah, that's uh, that's all from uh, the this shack. What do you what do you got going on in yours? Uh, not much. I've been working a lot of ten meters and fifteen meters as well. Uh, now that I switched my configuration over to go back to the Kenwood. Uh, just so I could, <clears throat> I don't know, it's kind of, kind of weird how I have things set up, but the, I have one radio that can do HF and VHF at the same time. So I need to switch them back and forth, but I'm back over on the Kenwood with a different tuner and just trying to see what I can pick up on 10 meters and 15 meters, which have been super active lately. And like you say, definitely into the evening hours. And I picked up quite a few, uh, Japanese and Australian stations on 10 meters, uh, into the late evening. So that's that's been really cool and as far as this satellite thing i have all of the same uh setup that you have i have the same uh, rtl sdr and gpredict and all that stuff and i can hook up my sdr because i have a you know the smc or whatever to so239 thing so i can i can put it on any of my antennas here and i definitely want to check this out and see what i can hear coming over one thing I was interested in, and I don't know if you can answer this question, and I don't know enough about satellites to really think to know if this is an intelligent question, but is it possible for there to be AOS on multiple satellites at the same time, or are they? Um, and if so, how does GPredict handle it, or is that something that would never happen? No, there's definitely uh, the same signal at the same time, um, and at that point, it's operator control, but it uh, uses whatever was AOS first as what it's running. So if you needed to switch to something else, you could switch it. Um, but like it won't switch the uh, current satellite until it's LOS. So, and I have seen that before where like, well, Bird, I haven't really heard anything from this IO-117 and CAS-4B actually passing at the same time. But uh, this IO-117 is, uh, is a little bit longer pass because of its orbit. Um, it didn't switch over. But you could switch it over to the other satellite, and it'll automatically switch over. Um, but, yeah, it'll, it'll stay on whatever satellite came in first. Okay. Well, that makes perfect sense. And I was just curious how that was going to work. And I, I sort of uh, understand exactly how you got your set up with a SDR++ opening up a HamLive port on 4532 and, and linking in with GPredict. So it sounds super simple. And I am definitely going to give this a shot in the next few days because I am really curious to hear what they sound like. So, yeah, yeah I'd be interested to hear what it sounds like to you, too. <laughs> It's like, yeah, some of the passes are kind of biased towards uh, the West Coast. So it's like, uh, you know, if it's too far out in the uh, in the Pacific, I'm sure like people probably don't even get on or something like that. And, uh, you know, unless it's a really lower pass towards the West, you know, I probably won't hear it if it's too far overhead. Um, but, yeah, I'd be interested to hear what it sounds like out there in Missouri. Yep. Well, I'm going to give that a shot because it sounds really interesting. I have done very little satellite work. Uh, well, basically no satellite work. The only messages I've received are uh, 
QS or SSTV images from the ISS, which is, I mean, uh, technically a satellite, I suppose. Uh, but that's that's really all the work I've done with it. So this will be kind of neat and get me uh, pushed in the direction of satellites a little bit more. So, all right, very good. Well, that brings us down to the end of our topics for this evening. So we're going to move on to announcements and feedback. And the first one we have is that our Hamvention 2023 GoFundMe is live. Has been for, I don't know, three or four weeks now. And uh, we have had many donations, and we're only $80 from our goal. So if you guys can help out, that would be great. You know, one, two, five dollars doesn't take much to get to 80, and uh, we'll be all set. I've already paid for the booth space at Hamvention, so we're registered, ready to go, and we will be there. So we hope to see all of you there as well. And uh, if you can help with a donation, that'd be great. Otherwise, we'll see you there. And Cheryl has something to add about a Pamper Chef fundraiser. I just wanted to add one thing about that. Though. Please like, do. People, so people understand, like, like the GoFundMe funds the cost of the booth and the internet for the booth, primarily. Like, there is, yeah, we cover our costs for us actually going to Hamvention. <laughs> yeah, we, we cover our gas and our food and, you know. Exactly. So it's no just way. paying the booth, yeah. yeah You're not no paying way. for us to party. <laughs> Yeah, there's no way does it cover anything else. So, uh, yeah, just just so people realize that it's like we don't ask for money to cover us actually getting there. It's just the fact that if we want a booth there, that's what we're asking for. And that's what we ask for, you know, everybody to help out with. So, uh, yeah, I just I just want to clarify, should anybody have a question of how that works? You know, and, you know, if we get early on, which I don't think we made the early the early discount, you know, we might be able to afford like one bottle of booze. <laughs> but we wouldn't do that so but we wouldn't do that yeah like literally it costs it's what 350 dollars to the booth and uh you know what 150 bucks for internet or something stupid like that so it's like 200 now so yeah yeah it's it's ludicrous what it costs to go there so yeah it's very minimal yeah we're just asking to cover those costs everything else is like picked up by by us driving, you know, from all of our locations, which mine is all the way in Montana, so it's it's many, many, many miles. <laughs> yes, many more miles than we have to go. It's only ten hours for us. It's like twenty something for you. So yeah. All right. Yes. Good clarification. And now we'll bring Cheryl in to talk about this Pamper Chef fundraiser thing. Okay. So what I did is I'm a Pamper Chef consultant. I created a fundraiser for those that are okay with donating a little bit of money but want a little something back we get 30 percent back off of whatever you spend at, th- at pampered chef if you want to buy anything from pampered chef so if if you want a little kickback for what you donate you know we get 30 percent off of what you buy uh, you know and and the 30 percent 20 percent of that is my commission which i obviously will donate back to you know the fundraiser but so you know if you want to go and get something cool for your kitchen then you can go to pamperchef.com slash party slash hamvention 23 and we will get this goes through i think i set through may 1st so we'll have plenty of time to get the check back uh before we leave so okay i didn't know anything about that until just now so <laughs> um i did this a couple of weeks ago you should pay more attention I guess I should. Maybe yeah. you should mentioned it two weeks ago. I did. And, I, well, I you, I don't think you were listening to me, but yeah, you know, probably not. <laughs> I, I posted about it on Facebook, so. Oh, I don't pay attention to Facebook. Yeah, yeah I know. Yeah. I know. <laughs> so. 
All right. Well, um, I'm sorry to do this to you, but you know what's coming up now. And for everybody in the chat, uh, you better uh, strap in. <laughs> yeah, it's long and convoluted. Right. Well, I've I've finally updated all of the social media uh, subscriptions over the last couple of weeks since we did the contest and all that. And so uh, particularly for Mastodon and Instagram, which are two brand new social media platforms that we're participating in, those lists are long. So we're, let's go ahead and, and, and this will only happen this one time because uh, as new subscribers come in, of course, it'll be much shorter going forward. But we definitely wanted to mention everyone and uh, we're going to let Cheryl read down through this list. So if everybody wants to tune out for the next three or four minutes, uh, feel free. <laughs> uh, but here we go. Okay, I'm going to apologize beforehand if I massacre anybody's name, but here we go. For our subscribers and Patreons, we didn't have any this week, but on Facebook we had Clay Jackson, Greg Tangy, and Slawamir Pock. On Twitter we had at K0NEB, at Gardner Dad, at BBaker256, at Aaron Van1964, at KU0HN underscore radio, at 1963Elks, and at Terminal Dragon. On Instagram, we had Ninja underscore Blanc, Scott Tukuma, NW7US, Retro Music Review, Neil Yarm, K1MBK, YV6AE, Gold Coast Amateur Radio Association, or SOS, uh, Oliveira. Uh, 1638, Craig underscore KD1MU, Soda Brazil, Ham Radio Basics, PY1KIH, Radio uh, Amador's Amigos Green, uh, Def, Def, KC5CNT, Wyatt underscore, underscore Stearns, Polvar, Anjo underscore Sachs, P-E-N-V-A-R. Oh, sorry. P-U-1-V-A-R. Anjo underscore Sachs. Matthias underscore Kratz. PB5ZK. Dave uh, Birchke. P5ZX. <laughs> sorry, I've got two dogs in here that are destroying my office. <laughs> All right. uh, <clears throat> William Baker, R, or excuse, Baker, 6329, B4UXY. Uh, Rodolfo Sliva, 50. Uh, Anderson Gusmau. Uh, ben, uh, Benetanio, excuse me, Son Ravita, uh, Loco Mice, Hans Christopher Wa, uh, Euphemeral underscore Supernova, uh, Sansui 350A, Wacky Nutter, Borgastayo, uh, Alberto Riama, PY1JR underscore Junior, Roger Wheaton 57, Robert Bells Dostive Silva, excuse me, N4 MDP, Rhythm Poetry, uh, Cheever's Chuck, uh, Estevam underscore Ramon, and Hewitt underscore George. On Mastodon, ugh, we have Floaty, KN4II, KC9ZMY, <clears throat> Charms, Todd Todd I, K0STK, KM6ZAF, Bike Me, Andrew Amatica, KM6ZAF. Just... Okay. What I say? KM6. Oh, sorry. Um, Greg Godub, G0DUB, DD0UL, KD2WL, KB2YSI, Rodrigo Morell, 
uh, F4IVY, Smitty Halibut, Devin N9DRB, Alex Griffiths, John AA7US, Hallis, Coos PE4KH, Nivex, uh, Steve K3FZT, Atheist QuoteBot, Steve K7HVT, Victoria KAVSY, Jurgen ON5, yeah, MF, sorry, um, Jim Titzler, Arno, or Arno Obert, excuse me, Ben KU0HN, Rick Stoner, Roland OE1RSA, Dan KC2BEZ, Darren VK6EK, Brent VY2HF, W1PJ VY2HF, Bill WC3B, KJ5T, uh, DLARC Ham Radio Library, Tobias D88TS, Michael Nusayan, yeah, something like that, Marcus OH2CIL, W0AMT, Nosy Nick VA3NNW, KG4RHQ, uh, Abrexus 3D N5NYIV, NP. Sorry, W5NYV, <laughs> KG4RHQ, um, I believe we have duplicate here. Did I not yeah, just read You just started up a little higher. Did I? Okay. Sorry. MP3QL. <laughs> yeah, MP3QL. Sorry, Jim, N4JAW, K6GTE, David, KE0AZ. William W1WRA MM0INH Michael DK1MI Jeff KE0NHQ Christopher M0YNG <clears throat> Okay YouTube Jerry L Ash and 1HWZ G excuse me mailing list Brian Rarden Chef Michael and Howard Dittmer on Discord SP2ONG AB9TH, Ratzy, Bad Hand, LB2EG, Richard, Moody, M00DY, Eric J, and Pixel Mame. And on live chat, we have Tony, K4XSS, Steve, KA7HVT, Stacy, KB7YS, Russ, KC5CNT, Darren, excuse me, Darren, VK6EK, and Ted, WA0EIR. <laughs> yeah, there were a few that I didn't bother to correct, but I think I think those people will know who they are if they hear their <laughs> call signs and whatnot. So, all right, well, thanks everybody for uh, signing up on the social media. Obviously, the way to get subscribers is to announce a giveaway <laughs> of an HF rig. <laughs> so that that uh, worked out exactly as planned and we thank everybody for subscribing we now post updates about the show and new episodes on those platforms so if you're a member of instagram facebook twitter mastodon youtube and all and all that you will get updates about the show on all those and of course we still have the mailing lists the announce list and the regular list so we post announcements and all that over there as well. So please pay attention to those and uh, anything we have coming up about Hamvention will show up on all of those platforms as well. And we really appreciate everybody participating in our social media and, and interacting with us in whatever way you want to do it. I think uh, we've settled on discord as being the primary way to get in touch and, and get uh, quick interaction. So 
Oh yeah, Bill uh, is texting on Discord. How about that? <laughs> <laughs> he says we should probably announce the winner. Um, we we did that, of course, on episode five hundred. No, I said we should probably get the winner to uh, maybe give oh, us a call in. Yes. Yeah, so we can so see. Uh, read the things. The, you said, so yeah, yeah, yeah. Actually, yeah. read it. Yeah. <laughs> well, if uh, Steve K zero STK is amenable, we will certainly try and get him on the show uh, once he receives his. Ubit X, which is in the mail and should probably be to him in the next couple of days. So maybe we'll hit him up and see if he wants to be on the show. That'd be kind of cool to talk to him. According to the mail, it's supposed to be delivered tomorrow. Very good. So with that very long list out of the way, and uh, unless we somehow join another social media platform in the next week or so, there there won't be another one. so thanks, everybody, for tuning in. We really appreciate it. And thanks for everybody who's supporting us in whatever way you do. And for those who are able to donate to our Hamvention campaign, we really hope to see you out there in May. And in the meantime, we are going to go ahead and wrap this one up and let you get on your way and hope you have a great week. And we'll talk to you all again very, very soon. This has been episode number 502 of Linux and the Ham Shack. I'm Russ, K5TUX. I'm Cheryl, W5MOO. And I'm Bill, NE4RD73. Thank you for listening to this episode of Linux in the Hamshack. LHS is a community-sponsored podcast. Our website is located at lhspodcast.info. You can support the podcast by visiting the LHS Patreon page at patreon.com stroke lhspodcast or by using the contribute list on the homepage. We have a presence on Discord, Facebook, IRC, Twitter, and YouTube. You can also drop us an email at info at lhspodcast.info or leave us a voicemail at 1-909-LHS-SHOW. That's 1-909-547-7469. Visit the online LHS merchandise store at shop.lhspodcast.info for fun and fashionable show-themed merchandise. Until next time, remember to always heed your hedonisms.